blood, blood wiser is, yet all these uh, quieter revolutions and uh, sexual revolutions, uh, now you have gender revolutions and so on, these were all part of the strategies to divide and conquer, divide and conquer society from a monolithic type structure into uh, a divided, completely multi-divided nation, each one. And then the elite group who planned all this come in and dominate you, the dominant minority. That's what Huxley called them himself, the dominant minority. And it's all happens pretty well. Uh, this is a century of change, remember, the 21st century they talked about uh, in academia for the last 50-odd years. Their big utopian dream was to come to pass in this century of the scientifically managed society. Back with more after this break. Use the times to also keep us confused much of the time and give us lots and lots of trivia. 
but now the children themselves are on, uh, we're watching TV, these high definition uh, screens, digital and all the rest of it, they can't tell fact from fiction anymore, and so many of them are drugged to the eyeballs uh, and dull of emotional responses, in fact, some who get off it eventually say that they were like zombies when they were on it, they felt nothing, and of course this is a well established fact, there's lots of articles on the drugging of children, what it does to them. But at the same time, too, uh, some of these, these so-called antipsychotic drugs are giving them as well, uh, along with speed or amphetamines, really, because they give them that, too, for being hyper, they give them speed. There's a, a magic potent for you. Uh, but uh, you understand they're bombed up their skulls, and then they're watching movies like you wouldn't believe by the militarized Hollywood culture. We've had 20-odd years or more of nothing but movies uh, and good guys, bad guys, and mass slaughter for fun. We're giving this for fun because, you see, they need a militarized culture right now uh, to recruit guys uh, uh, right now and for the last 10, 15, 20 years to fight all the wars which they knew they'd make happen at this time to standardize the rest of the countries into the global system. But again, people have no idea of the collusion uh, that Hollywood has to do with what you think and what you feel about things, your opinions and everything else too. And you think you're being entertained. You don't bring on professors and specialists to help work out movies. People who are into behaviorism and neuroscientists and all of this just to make movies, folks. This is to, to make sure the right impressions are instilled and printed, in fact, on the minds of the viewers. And started, they first started to see how easy it was using simple things which in you were drives, like sexual drives and so on. And they sexified everything until they overdid it, of course and that all the children starts copying it, and then you have a defunctional uh, generation when they grow up, and then when the, the communist planks is fulfilled because no one gets married. You see, that was part of it too. Then you need the militarized culture, and then you've got youngsters too, supposedly, shooting places up and all the rest of it, because their hero is the guy who's got the power, and the power is dressed like a, in black with all the armor plating on, and uh, you have you look just like a combat trooper, a SWAT team person, and that's what they emulate, the person with the power. And they know all this too. Plus two, uh, I'll put a little link tonight, and, it's, and, and this fact is true, uh, that this Dark Knight movie, has so much in it to do with the references of the two shoot last shootings we've had Aurora and Sandy uh, 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 Kukri so anyway so uh, you actually see that the actual uh, map that they used and plus they were sending out posters before this with a little place uh, circled this little town circled on it to do with the attack zone and so on that that, that is not coincidence and that is not coincidence folks but again Hollywood turned out lots of more movies before 9-11 and they had the word 9-11, or even the weight 9-11 in it, too. And um, you can't just dismiss this. This is Twilight language, as they say. And it's almost like the big boys putting their little jokes in there and giving you the finger at the same time. I'm not kidding about that. And when it comes to the joke of politics, I mean, a politician is just a stooge who will take orders from his trainers. Uh, and he'll say what he's told to say. He'll read to the dummy boards. 
and she'll be behaved in a certain way. Sometimes they give them a little bit more deportment. Every politician in Britain has a minimum of £500,000 worth of expenses goes into deportment by, and they're taught by actors and how to stand and pause and look impressive and or sad or whatever. Everything today is an act, incredible act. And the public, just because the public are glued to TV, all the reality comes from TV, and they think it's all just as real. The guy's doing all the right movements an actor would make, therefore he's very, very good. And you believe them. Now, there's an article here. It says, Obama campaign reveals how it collaborated with Hollywood to win. And there's nothing new in this kind of thing. But before the presidential election, the Obama campaign wasn't shy about the fact it was causing up to Hollywood to rally support. But now the administration has revealed just how much it worked with industry insiders to help re-elect the president. And it turns out that they had a significant and strategic involvement. This is in a piece this week. The Hollywood Reporter discloses that Obama's official relationship with Hollywood executives began during a meeting in Beverly Hills last year between the incumbent and the top-level agents and producers. The plan that emerged from that meeting, uh, Eric Ortner says, was very scientific. The idea was to mobilize constituency groups to build a ground game, and it was very strategic. From there, celebrities including Bruce Springsteen, Pat, uh, Kate Perry, and John Legend hit the ground running. They headlined concerts and made uh, uh, appearances in swinging states, during which the campaign workers would gather the contact information of attendees, who they then later hit up directly with pleas to vote for Obama. Their effort proved successful. In the Vegas neighborhood where Perry performed more than 13,000 people in front of them, uh, area residents rushed to polling places in the election, day, according to local media accounts. So that just musicians involved with the effort also used social media to promote the president's campaign messages with 90 million fans ultimately reached. So that's really how it's done. And it wouldn't make any difference what site was, uh, you know, pushing this thing. They'd, they'd all use the same kind of techniques if they can. But there's no doubt Hollywood is all for the global agenda. Because after all, you see, it's not there by chance. It's not just there to entertain you and to get awfully rich, which it actually does too. Um, it's also there to influence you because those who run, basically, the media and entertainment, the culture industry, run, run the country. Uh, and that's a fact, folks, because your culture is not the same culture you had when you were small or your parents had. Hollywood literally changed it. And people have adapted and adopted the Hollywood culture, even on a much lower scale, of course. But all that they've seen and heard, what they've been taught to think about, they have adopted to adopted it. So it's all here. And interesting, too, the Intercontinental Exchange finally wins the New York SE Euronext. It's called for $8.2 billion, it says. New York Stock Exchange. Intercontinental E-Change, a collection of over-the-counter and option markets, will buy a New York Stock Exchange Euronext, it's called Euronext. Interesting naming. For $8.2 billion in a cash and stock deal. ICE will pay $33.12 a share a 37% premium over yesterday's closing price of 24.5. Plus, when the deal closes, New York Stock Exchange Euronext shareholders will own 36% of ICE shares, it says. NYSE Euronext headquarters on Wall Street will remain unchanged. The company says ICE will open another New York building in 2013, adding to two existing locations in New York and Atlanta. 
by merging the companies expect $450 million in cost synergies within two years. Synergies appear massive for companies with little business overlaps, says Peter Leonardo's RBC Capital Markets and Analysts. So everything's owned, isn't it? You know, everything, even your stock exchanges too, of course, are all owned. It's not yours, of course. It's not yours at all. The money's not yours either, really. The debt's yours. <laughs> they give it to you, and you accept it. That's why it's yours. You accept it. But that's how things really are. Now, going back to what I said at the beginning, perpetual childhood is really the dream of uh, the socialist managers. Perpetual childhood for all those that they manage, which is the vast populations. And there's a quote here, and it's from the Tocqueville. It says, "Killa quotes for life." It says. It says Society which tries to keep its citizens perpetual childhood, it will seek to preserve their happiness, but it chooses to be the sole agent and only arbiter of that happiness. Society will develop a new type of servitude which covers the surface of society with a network of small, complicated rules, through which the most original minds and the most energetic characters cannot penetrate. It does not tyrannize, but it compresses, innervates, extinguishes, and stupefies a people till each nation is reduced to be nothing better than a flock of timid industrial animals of which government is the shepherd. Isn't it the truth, though? Back with more after this. He was a brother of Christopher Hitchens, and Christopher was a complete opposite poles with him, but 
disinterest in how they, they, they viewed things. And it says, the new census reveals that Britain would not be unrecognizable even to the grandparents. And it says, uh, cens- the census statements that came out in numbers and figures is not just a description of the state of things on, on a day in 2011, but a prophetic document telling us where we're going. It says, Christianity is on the decline, where Islam is on the up, and fewer of us are married for the first time ever. And um, it says, the future will be another country. They will do things differently there. Same place, but it's a different country, you know, do things differently. So it's not just a description, as I say. It's, just, it's, it's the description of the state of things and so on. It's a prophetic, prophetic document telling us where we're going, whether we like it or not. And he says, I don't. For the past 60 years or so, we've lived in a nation that was more or less familiar to anyone who had grown up in the pre-war Britain of 1939. Even the devastation of conflict had not transformed it out of recognition. People behaved, thought, worked, laughed, and enjoyed themselves much as they'd done for decades. They lived in the same uh, sorts of families, in the same kind of houses. Their children went to the same kinds of schools. And they'd grown up in a land that was still identifiably the same as the grandparents had known. And so went back for centuries. As recently as 1949, the prices of most goods were roughly the same and expressed in the same money as the prices of 1649, because it was the old coinage they used. A short distance time travel between 1912 and 2012 might be perplexed and astonished, but he would not be lost. That period is now coming to an end. I suspect that anyone in Britain travelling between 2012 and 2112 will be unable to believe he was in the same place. Was the most significant factor of the census? I don't think there is one. Several are shocking or disturbing if you're not fond of change and delightful if you are. But there are some which take together, uh, uh, taken together, prophesy of transformation to come. It says, look at these. It says, manufacturing is now the, the fourth biggest employer after supplying and selling goods and services, health and social work and education. So manufacturing is down. And it says, and, and so in the nature that was once the workshop of the world, we now have uh, the nation, I should say, but more teachers than industrial workers. And, and again, it's part of the socialist system. Understand, even as Lenin said this in Stalin too, you pay your army, your, your military, your police, and your teachers a lot because the teachers indoctrinate the next generation uh, the way the state wants them indoctrinated. Since London is rapidly becoming a separate nation, as different from England as Scotland or Wales are, with indigenous British people now in that minority, and some years a very small minority indeed, and incidentally with extremes of wealth and poverty not known since Edwardian times. Then, of course, there's a decline in Christianity down by 4 million, from 72% to 59%, the growth in indifference to religion, with non-believers almost doubling to 14.1 million, and also of Islam rising to so fast that one British resident in 20 is now a Muslim. And this is all done on purpose, folks, by the big people who rule. And it's not Muslim. It says the Muslim population is young and keen on large families, while the Christian population tends to be older and less likely to have children. There's very much a work in progress, far from complete. A lot of nominal Christians are no longer bothering to pretend to a faith they have never cared much about. Don't be surprised that in 10 years the gap between the number of professing Christians and the number of Muslims has grown much smaller. The secularists have so enth- who enthusiastically sought to drive Christianity out of British life may realize with a gulp of apprehension that they've only created a vacancy for Islam, a faith that is not at, at all troubled by Richard Dawkins. Perhaps most significant of all is the acceleration or exciting disappearance of marriage as a normal state of life for grown-up people. For the first time, fewer than half of adults are married. 
and it says, uh, and I'll, well, I shall I'll continue this article, it's quite interesting, because the whole culture is gone. It's not just religion, that was just a part of it, whether you believe in it or not. It's a cultural society based on it, for the common rules, back after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watford, cutting through the matrix and talking about the big system changing and the, the, not just Britain, but the world. And it's all intentional. I, and, and Peter Hitchens, whose brother was Christopher Hitchens, who was at the complete opposite pole. But uh, uh, Peter Hitchens is decrying basically the culture and things that held the culture together. Because at one time you'd walk anywhere uh, and in complete safety and all the rest of it. You didn't have all the trouble you have today. You didn't have the, the jobs, uh, joblessness as well. And um, it's all gone. And the pride is gone. And you've got a welfare state now, which means you've got a dominant uh, government, a totally dominant government in a welfare state. But it says that getting hitched, talk about getting married, is homosexuals seem to be more most enthusiastic about marriage, just as heterosexuals are tiring of it. And this means that many, a great number of fatherless households, a great number of cohabiting couples, the rapid disappearance of which was once a strong social force. It's also your communities, too, are all destroyed, as it were. Since a stable married family is a fortress of private life and individuality, and it's a problem individuality, it's retrieval meaning the opposite of that. More state interference and surveillance, more conformism and more conformists and mass culture. Its main effect will be on the children. Many will grow up outside what used to be normal, a lifelong uh, two-parent home. Uh, they will as a result be different sorts of people. Already almost half of Britain's 15-year-olds do not live with their birth parents. 300,000 sets of parents split each year. I can't believe that this is not part of the reason for the so-called riots of 2011, in which young men brought up without male authority ran wild. They were equal opportunity events, and their causes were homegrown, not imported. This will get much worse, it says. Again, conservatives will find this worrying and ill-omened liberal progressives who have never had much time for the married family, seeing as a sort of prison, will view it as a liberation because that's part of the manifesto. Edmund Leach, giving his influential Wreath Lectures in 1967, put it this way, Far from being the basis of the good society, the family, with its narrow privacy and tawdry secrets, is a source of all our discontents. It is striking that just as homosexuals seem to be most enthusiastic about getting married, heterosexuals are trying the whole thing. But now compare the giant political fuss over same-sex marriage with the numbers of people affected, meaning a lot of the promotion of it and the media coverage. See just what a tiny proportion of the country is involved. With the decline of conventional marriage involves many millions, there are almost 105,000 people in civil partnerships, one-fifth of one percent of the population, or one person in 500. That is seven years after they first became available. It's a deliberately left migration to the end. The figures are astonishing, with one in ten people in England Wales now born abroad, and the rate of increase over the past few years equally astounding. Almost half of the new citizens have arrived here since 2001. And the figure that's not attracted their attention is should have almost three million people live in households where no adult speaks English as their first language. 
the main significance of this is the speed of it. Even now, official immigration still stands at 180,000 a year. Probably these totals are an underestimate as illegal migrants tend not to fill in the forms. But the really important fact is this revolution is a result of a deliberate planned attempt to change this country forever, and we have the evidence of this. On October 23, 2009, the former new Labour official called Andrew Neither wrote an article in the London Evening Standard, which was that very rare thing, a genuine, genuine revelation of a political secret. The crucial passage described a major shift in the policy of previous governments, and it says... It says, it disclosed that a big immigration report was surrounded by an unusual air of both anticipation and secrecy. There was a paranoia about it reaching the media. Earlier drafts I, I, also, I saw also included a driving political purpose that mass immigration was the way that the government was going to make the UK truly multicultural. It says, I remember coming away from some discussions with a clear sense that the policy was intended, even if this wasn't its main purpose, to rub the rice nose in diversity and render their arguments out of date. That seems to be a maneuver too far. Ministers were very nervous about the whole thing. There was a reluctance elsewhere in government to discuss what increased immigration would mean, above all for Labour's core white working class bill. As is part by accident, proper design, the government had created its long for immigration boom. But ministers wouldn't talk about it, politicians wouldn't talk about it. Why not? Because Labour voters wouldn't have liked it had been discussed. While ministers might have been passionately in favour of a more diverse society, it wasn't necessarily a debate they wanted to have in working men's clubs in Sheffield or Sunderland. On Friday, the Labour leader, Ed Miliband, was still trying to appeal to working-class voters whose views his metropolitan fat-cat party secretly despises. Ed Miliband, remember, with his brother, were both, his, their dad was a top communist in Britain, free-talking universities here, and he ran off from Europe to, to Britain and taught it there, communism. While praising immigration to his London audience, he pretended to be concerned about it, admitting there's an anxiety about the pace of change. He promised absurdly, since the EU has controlled our frontiers for many years, that Britain must always control its borders. Actually, the EU said you couldn't stop them coming in. But then he swiftly dismissed the idea, which would be the only hope of future harmony, that migrants should assimilate, saying this was wrong for our country. He proclaimed their nation doesn't mean one identity. People can't be proudly patriotically British without abandoning their cultural roots. Is this true? In the days when the USA still sought to assimilate its migrants, it certainly didn't think so. It insisted that they become Americans in every way and as soon as they could. Half the point of American state schools was the creation of a new young Americans. Since the policy was abandoned 30 years ago, the USA has in reality ceased to be one country with large areas speaking Spanish and retaining the customs and cultures of their homes hostile or chilly to their American fellow citizens who returned the favor. Any observant person in Britain can see the same process in such cities as Bradford in England, where multiculturalism has created two solitudes uh, with their backs turned on each other. Bit by bit, the, country of this, the people of the country are ceasing to have key things in common. They don't share religion, culture, or history. Many don't even share a language. They don't eat the same food, watch the same TV stations, or have a common sense of humor. They sometimes even disagree about whether to drive on the left side of the road. They come from completely different legal and political traditions. And it's true, these a lot come from countries where there's been totalitarianism, and they actually go along with it when they come into totalitarian countries like, well, Britain. <laughs> and a strange paradox, many of the New Britons are more socially and morally conservative than their indigenous British neighbours, though their presence here is a sort of revolution in flesh and blood. 
Men and new migrants also have a completely different worth ethic, not having grown up in our entitlement-based welfare state, which is why one of their main unspoken functions in Labour's plans has been to keep wages down by providing a huge pool of cheap and unwilling unskilled labour. Without mass immigration, the minimum wage would long ago have had to rise sharply, creating the crisis that all economists predicted when it was introduced. As it is, we're fast becoming a low-wage, unskilled economy with overcrowded cities, multi-occupied housing and hopelessly strained medical services, transport and schools. There's also a widening gap between the rich who can afford servants again for the first time since the era of uh, downtown Abbey and the poor who have to be those servants. The only way we were able to sustain this is by becoming steadily cheaper, devaluing our currency through inflation and incidentally destroying the savings and pensions of the thrifty. And she goes on and on uh, about what's happening, but it's, it's all happened. I mean, it's all been done by design to bring in the new society, you see, which really is no society at all. It's just an obedient society of many, many groups all being government uh, or else. I mean, that's what the new system is. And it was designed a long, long time ago, and you have a new dominant minority running the whole show. And also tonight I'll put up... <laughs> Scotland, Scotland, it's, it's incredible how the communism runs in Scotland, Scotland truly really is, because they're really taking, uh, uh, government agencies are in everybody's homes. If you've got a child, you're probably terrified in Scotland, because they're right in there. The Scottish Child Health Programme, guidance on the 27 to 30 month child health review. And... It's a PDF comes with us. I'll give you, because this is from the UN too. It's all, they're helping it out. The EU bunch are helping it out too. They want to, to literally monitor you health-wise, mental-wise, and so on, right through your life. This is only part of it, the 30-month part. And even the 30-month part is, is, is comical. But they want to go on bomb after that. But they're right into their parents as well. Uh, what kind of jobs they have? Are they healthy? Do they smoke? Do they occasionally drink? All this stuff. And uh, people who look after me. Uh, and all this kind of stuff. And then it even goes into um, mental health. They also mean of the parents, too. And that's going to be judged by some social worker you know, who's been made paranoid by all of their indoctrinations uh, and so on and so on. And then the, the wider world is quite interesting. After 30 months, they're talking about home learning environment, books and reading, screen time, television, computer early learning, childhood, nursery, childminder, playgroup attendance or registration, inoculations, vaccinations. So, uh, socialism is totally... Actually, the Soviets will love this system. It's beyond... See, we're, we're beyond the Soviet. We're into what the Soviet was supposed to turn out to be. We're, we're the next phase of it. It's all happened. Big government, you see. Running it properly, scientifically. And... Another article I've tonight, too, is called New Report. Three-fifths of colleges seriously restrict the free speech on campus. Uh, so they can't get this. It's a loggerheads with the First Amendment. This is in the U.S. I'll put this up tonight because it's interesting. And it's true that their own um, the speech codes in universities and, and, and colleges are conflicting, totally conflicting with uh, the First Amendment right of free speech. So I'll put this article up tonight as well. Now, Hillary Clinton's, as we go into all these partnerships with free trade organizations, the BRIC countries, you've got the Pacific Rim groups and so on, the Trans-Pacific Partnerships, um, the, the Trans-European par- Partnerships, or 
all these partnerships, free trade, again, the brainchild of the Royal History for International Affairs, Council and Foreign Relations from a hundred years ago. <laughs> and when any, anybody else tries to do the same because they're getting shelled in there uh, by, say, say, different missions getting surrounding their countries, they're called Sovietization, Soviet, it's called, or Sovietizing your country itself. Hillary Clinton's uh, comments attracts the Kremlin's ire. So the U.S. Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, she says, um, that she's annoyed that the, the, the president of the U.S., of, of, the, of, the, of the Russia. The Russian's president, press said, it said recent remarks by U.S. Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, about re-Sovietizing the CIS countries, points to a total lack of understanding about the process taking place in the region. As the former Soviet countries that make up the Commonwealth of Independent States, CIS, continue to adjust to the occasionally harsh realities of democracy and globalization, Clinton's comments struck an awe around Earth. The U.S. Secretary of State explained efforts to promote greater integration of the CIS as a move to re-Sovietize the region. Uh, it's not going to be called that, Clinton remarked. It's going to be called a customs union. It will be called a Eurasian union and all of that. But let's make no mistake about it. We know what the goal is. We're trying to figure out effective ways to slow it down or prevent it. Now, that's exactly what we're doing. The economic union of Europe is. That's a union, European Union, you know. And we have the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is a union, and many other unions. But everybody else is not quite in the club. Does, does their own little thing then apparently becoming Soviets. And they didn't call the BRIC countries Soviets when, when the Latin American countries got involved uh, with China and different ones making a little deal. But there's big bones to pick, you see, with, with Russia for a lot of the folk that were kicked out of it. So to, to associate these open developments with some sort of Sovietization fails to appreciate the changes taking place in the former Soviet Union that they said in an interview with Russia to a 24 channel. Indeed, Russia and the CIS states, much like other regions of the world, are coalescing into various economic and political unions, not to mention security alliances. Moscow is certainly wondering if Clinton has forgotten that the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, which continues its mission creep across the former Soviet space, is a vestige of the Cold War period. And indeed, the majority of Russians believe the Western military alliance has outlived its purpose and should be disbanded because it was supposed to be only for the Cold War period. And of course, they were near bombing Libya and different places. At the same time, Clinton overlooked the basic difference between the parties for integration in the Soviet period compared with today. For starters, in the Soviet period, all of the decisions were passed down from Moscow in an effort to bring the various Soviet republics in line with communist ideology. And he goes on and on and on. But it shows you, because the, the, the U.S., is, uh, they're into Bulgaria and different places, putting missiles in. They put missiles in Turkey. And, of course, they're trying to do the old Cold, Cold War thing and put missiles surrounding Russia with missiles. Same thing on the go, you see. So that's why that's all happening. And also, I want to mention, like, too, about... Um, <laughs> This topic culture going down the tubes with the ones who are involved in culture creation. There's a, a band uh, in Britain called Lost Prophets, and they're all in the wilderness now because their frontman, their singer, was accused of plotting to rape a baby. No kidding. He's been arrested. It says, um, the band released a statement after the 35-year-old singer appeared in court yesterday, charged with six child sex offences. The accused is Ian Watkins, and... Uh, it says, members of the Welsh rock band Lost Prophets are in a state of shock. 
The 35-year-old frontman appeared in court yesterday with charged with six child sex offences, including conspiring with a female to rape a one-year-old girl. Apparently there's two females now I've got. The singer and two women who cannot be named for legal reasons are also accused of conspiracy to engage in sexual activity with a girl under 13. What's a, yeah, a one-year-old girl is under 13. And it says, Watkins, a former boyfriend of TV presenter Fern Cotton, was further charged with three separate charges of possession, making and distributing indecent images of children. He was also accused of possession of extreme pornography, some involving animals. And his bandmates, and it mentions the bandmates, released a statement on their website today, speaking of their shock. We're really... <laughs> well, but, you know, the whole culture is in degradation. I've been saying that for years, by design. And that, that TV tube has altered the world, uh, intentionally too. Not just for ratings, not just for the cash, but by planning. I've mentioned before that the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs, had a meeting in the 60s to do with who they're going to give the power to, to give the world this culture. And they're talking about using the, the British film studios that they had in London, or should they use uh, Hollywood to create not just music, but movies and music. And they decided eventually, after this two-week-long meeting, uh, they would give it to, to the U.S. and Hollywood, and it has been done. And the whole agenda, pretty well, of destroying the cultures of those countries has been completed. So there's nothing. This doesn't even shock people anymore. What does shock people anymore? You don't get shocked unless you're, you, you follow the booktube for, for your news at school shooting, and they lead you through a whole bunch of things that supposedly have happened, haven't happened. They keep changing their mind with the story until you give up, you go along with the emotion, and it goes right into gun control. From there to there, it's like that. So emotion, and the creation of emotional hype, has the desired effect for an agenda to go through. Back with more after this break. as well. So, 
But you, yeah, when you get the names jiving like that, you just can't ignore them. And, and there's no doubt this particularly the, the Hollywood guys sent out these uh, posters uh, with the, the little pictures of the map and so on, uh, and T-shirts as well to people before the movie even came out with the, with Aurora on, and that's in the movie. You can actually see it in the Batman movie on top of a building, and then you see the, the, the map where they're going to have a hit or a strike, and it, it is it's the is the Sandy Hook. Yeah, I mean it's there. Also, what was very interesting as well is that I believe a year before. They had a, the Department of Homeland Security had a drill there, which was, uh, uh, I guess the drill was probably supposed to be simulating something similar also as well, which was very, very interesting as well, very bizarre also as well. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, and again, too, reporters are taught to report on facts before they publish anything to the, to the people. And yet here they are saying there's a shooter found, uh, another one found in handcuffed outside the school. And then, then he's not there anymore. Uh, then the, they found all these two, two, three carriages all over the school from the rifle. And then later they say the rifle's found in the trunk of the car. Obviously, it wasn't used. I mean, they keep giving these contradictory reports. The reporters don't do that just like that. Even the excitement is supposed to get the facts right. Uh, so I think the technique they're using is like a twilight technique, they call it. Where, you, where you're, still, you're still addicted to the tube, because everyone today is they're addicted to the tube for all information. And so they keep watching it, and they get so confused, and eventually when the, when the final story comes out, they won't question anything until they'll take it, just as it's said. But nothing makes sense in this. They said that the woman was a whole homeschooler of this child. She was not. They said she worked at the school. She didn't work at the school. They even said in the early reports, remember, that the husband in New Jersey was found dead. He wasn't. I mean, you just don't make these mistakes. Any reporter today has access to more information on, on, on us than we have on each other. And they can get it instantly, believe you me, uh, and in real time. So this is a, a, tech, a technique that's being used here to, to dissociate the people from thinking logically themselves and pull them step by step right into the emotional bit with the crying, with, with, the, with Obama and all that, uh, into the, the objective, which is gun confiscation. This is a technique, there's no doubt about it. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. They're even saying that um, there were even, there's even reports from the principal mm-hmm. giving, a, giving some sort of, um, uh, um, um, uh, I guess, report or complaint to the police, and now all of a sudden that, that's been removed. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, everything, everything gets removed step by step by step, and you're left in the twilight zone. Uh, but you've got objective there. You've got rage and emotional rage. Uh, all mixed up with it, and, and um, it's been done before. You have to go into the old bath bombing in, in the U.S. back in 1923, where a guy blew up a school. Uh, there's a guy in, uh, they didn't ban janitors. It was a janitor that did it. The taxi driver in Britain uh, ran over eight guys after a dispute. They didn't ban taxis. But thanks for calling from Hamish myself from Tour Canada. It's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you.